This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today, I wanted to look outside the U.S. for a moment and consider the bigger global picture. The U.S. has taken a clear step back from its leadership position on the global stage, and countries around the world have been left to fend for themselves. Which leads to my next question. What will the new world order look like in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic? And there's really no one better to ask than my guest for this special bonus episode, Richard Haas. He's the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, the author of the new book, The World, A Brief Introduction, and definitely one of the smartest people I know. I spoke with him about why he believes this crisis promises to be less of a turning point than a way station along the same road the world's been traveling for the past few decades. Richard Haas, great to have you on the podcast. Great to be had. (laughs) So Richard, of course, we should mention we've known each other for a very long time, met, gosh, at this point, maybe 30 years ago when you were in Washington. I'm much too young for that to be possible, but but it was something, it, it might be about that. You were still a, you were a young reporter for the NBC affiliate in Washington. That's right. And we met when we were in line at the Social Safeway in Washington, D.C. And I just started talking to you because I thought you seemed cute. I was engaged at the time. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, well, we just have to kind of because I think we're going to sound like we know each other and we're kind of familiar. So I want people to understand how and why. But I'll give the short version, Richard. I'll give the abridged version. So basically, I saw this guy, he had on a nice tweed jacket with elbow patches, some Hebrew national salami in his cart. And I just sort of started talking to him because I was always trying to set my friend up with a with a cute guy. And I found out Richard 
what uh, was living in D.C., that he had gone to Harvard. By the way, I just learned from your book and my research, I didn't realize you were a Rhodes Scholar, too. Jesus, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite the overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so far, so far, this this conversation is only trouble. <laughs> anyway, long story short, he met my friend. They enjoyed each other's company, and uh, but it wasn't a love connection. He ended up marrying someone else I know, Susan Mercandetti. He's a wonderful person, and we're all still friends to this day. And now you're a frequent golf partner of my husband's, John Molner. A high percentage of what you just said is true. <laughs> okay, good. All right, we'll move on to loftier topics now, Richard, and namely your new book called The World, A Brief Introduction. And I love what motivated you to write this book. Can you tell that story, Richard? I was doing something I don't frequently do, which was fishing. And I was with one of my best buddies, and his nephew was with him. This was a very bright young man, about 20 or 21. I think he was between his junior and senior years at Stanford. And I asked him what he was studying there. And he said, computer sciences. And he told me about it. And then I said, I'm just curious because we can't have a conversation about computer sciences because I don't know enough to have a conversation. But what else are you studying? For example, uh, what kind of history courses are you taking? And he said, uh, well, I'm actually not taking any. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Well, what about uh, economics? Nah, not taking any of those either. We went through a lot of the liberal arts curriculum, and the bottom line is this bright young man was going to graduate from one of the greatest universities in the world with what I thought was a really incomplete uh, undergraduate education. And when I got back to my office, we looked at uh, hundreds of colleges and universities around the United States, and it turned out that his experience was anything but an exception. That even though virtually every campus offered courses, on foreign policy or international affairs or what have you, virtually none, really only a handful, required them for graduation. So if you wanted to, you could, na you could navigate your, your requirements for graduation and essentially graduate without even a rudimentary knowledge of this world that was going to change your life. And what I thought I would try to do in a, in a single book is give people the foundation not to give them everything they need to know, much less how to think, but to give them enough background so they would be better prepared to handle the flood of news coming at them, to ask the right questions, to think about, say, investments or business decisions. And that was the goal here, to uh, establish a kind of foundational, a floor level of global literacy for the average citizen. I think it's a wonderful idea, Richard, because I think not just your friend's nephew is in this boat, but I think, you know, even well-educated people, the world is so complicated. There's so much to keep up with. It's virtually impossible, I think, unless you're the president of the Council on Foreign Relations or this is your area of expertise, to really have a handle on it. Were you able to boil it down and make it accessible and understandable for, for people, honestly, like me, who is excited about reading about some of these things, some for the first time and some as a refresher course? Well, that was the goal. And ultimately, people will tell me whether I succeeded. I worked hard at it. It was actually a really difficult book to, to write for two reasons. And you, you, you suggested both. One was to figure out what to put in and what not to. And when you have 
it's almost like a buffet and you can put on your plate anything from a hundred different bowls. How do you decide what to take? So I took a lot of laps around Central Park thinking about what it was to include and what really wasn't uh, necessary. And then I had to really unpack the issues, not use jargon, not assume that people knew some historical reference. I had to explain everything. I learned a lot in writing it because you know, I do this for a living and I've been doing it for 40 years. But in many cases, I didn't know everything I needed to know in order to teach it or explain it. Look, it's interesting to learn the basics of some of the history or why is the Middle East such a messed up region or why should we care about, I, mean, I wrote about global health and pandemics before anyone knew what COVID-19 was or just why is climate change such a, a, a problem? My goal every step of the way was to connect it. The, the, the subliminal question was, why does the world matter? And therefore, why, why, why do you need to become somewhat more knowledgeable about it, somewhat, somewhat more prepared to deal with it? Why do you think people suddenly became so uneducated about civics, about world affairs? Um, it seems like a real indictment of our education system. Was it the shift in terms of what we needed to to really learn about in order to secure a good job when people graduated? Was it, was there a turning point? Does it coincide with the U.S.'s, I think, uh, increasing tendency to look inward? I mean, how do you explain it? Because it's actually very depressing to me. Well, it's all of the above. I think this country has a, a history of isolationism. We're a continental country. A lot goes on here. And when you think about it, World War II in the last 70 years are really the exception when the United States has been involved in the world in an open-ended way. Before then, uh, it was anything uh, but. So in some ways, what we're seeing is a little bit of a return to our tradition. I think with the end of the Cold War, this accelerated. The sense was, well, we can now put our feet up. We don't really have to worry about the, the world all that much. We've got lots of problems here at at home to tackle. Uh, so I, I think a lot, and then I think probably more recently, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan created the sense that uh, getting involved in the world was a, a bad thing. Uh, it costs lives, it costs money. When, so it, again, it pushed people more to think about uh, problems in the United States. You didn't have political leaders who were explaining why what goes on in the world matters. That's a somewhat nuanced conversation. Uh, so for any number of reasons, Americans just turned away from it. And I think mostly, in part because they weren't studying it, didn't see the, didn't see the connections. No one was pointing out why this is useful to know, why this is relevant. And people thought they could get along fine without it. And one of the expensive lessons of what we're all going through now in the pandemic is that we're learning that the world does matter. It does affect our lives, indeed, fundamentally our life. Denial is not a, a policy. I think the same thing applies to, to, to climate change. But it is an indictment that uh, our education in many cases is not preparing Americans collectively or individually for, for, the, for the world that they're going to inherit. When we come back, more with Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? 
While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We're back with Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations. It's sort of surprising that, as Tom Friedman wrote about the world becoming flat, that globalization was accompanied by a certain sense of detachment from what was happening in, you know, outside our borders. You're right. It's 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 a contradiction. Also, I think against globalization, there was certain pushback. Again, foreign policy was seen as sometimes wasteful or expensive. People didn't always like what they saw. They thought they could get along with, with, with without it. And we've been living in a certain uh, bubble. And we learned on 9-11 that terrorists who were trained in Afghanistan could cause the death of 3,000 Americans in a, in a couple of hours. We're, we're learning now about what began in Wuhan didn't stay in Wuhan. It traveled around the world. And now more than 80,000 or so Americans have lost their lives. Trillions of dollars of wealth have been eliminated. Tens of millions of jobs have, have been eliminated. We saw the fires last summer in California. We saw them in Australia. And I think that's just a, a glimmer of what's to, to come. So I think what we're learning is that the world really does matter that we ignore it to our peril. Isolationism is not a solution to anything. What I'm hoping people also learn from the current crisis is that unilateralism isn't much of a response either. We can't do it by ourselves. It can't just be America first. We've got to pool our resources and and work with others. So this is, a, this is the most expensive teaching lesson I can imagine. And I wouldn't have wished it on this country or any individual, uh, no matter what. But since it is happening, I'm hoping that we can at least come away with this somewhat somewhat the wiser. Well, let's talk about the U.S. response to this global pandemic. I know you believe it won't so much change the basic direction of world history, but will accelerate it. So I think what 
what this pandemic has done, Richard, in so many ways, it's brought into sharp relief pre-existing conditions, if you will, not only domestically about income inequality, access to health care, but globally about the, you know, the, the road we were already down before this even surfaced. Can you talk about that? Yeah, 100%. This, this pandemic didn't come out of nowhere. It came into a context. And the context internationally was one of a deteriorating U.S.-Chinese relationship, you had the Brexit and the problems facing uh, Europe. The Middle East was turbulent, to say the least. North Korea was increasing its nuclear missile arsenals. Russia was in uh, Ukraine. China was repressing freedom in Hong Kong, was building out in the uh, South China Sea. Venezuela was a failed state hemorrhaging people. You had these and any number of other uh, challenges or realities in the world. And what this has done is intensified it, accelerated it, it exacerbated it. Uh, so the U.S.-Chinese relationship is even is even worse. The Middle East now faces even more problems. And we're looking away. So North Korea has been free to continue down its path of missile and, and nuclear development. The world has done nothing to catch up to the challenge of, of climate change. And what's even worse, Katie, is because we've had to devote so much of our attention, so much of our bandwidth, so much of our resources, I worry about this combination of a world that's in worse shape than it was because of the pandemic. And now we have less attention, less capacity to, to deal with it. That seems to me the worst of all situations, but I'm afraid that's the one we have. Less capacity to deal with what, Richard? Oh, it's everything from the fact of you've got millions of people around the world who are either ill or will be. You've got economies that can't produce enough wealth in order to deal with the public health needs as well as to keep people employed. You've got the proliferation challenges, the terrorism challenges. Russia hasn't left Ukraine. China is not pulling in. It's horns. You've had all the problems you had before. My last book was The World in Disarray. So you had all the disarray in the world which has gradually gotten worse. And again, what's now, I think, more problematic is the problems are more advanced, like climate change. The relationship between the two most powerful countries in the world, the U.S. and China, is is rubbed raw. And the United States is spending trillions of dollars in order to provide relief to American citizens and businesses, which means that we're not going to have the capacity to devote resources and time and attention to these international problems. And as we are learning, Uh, If bad things happen around the world, sooner or later, they will find their way here. You know, I was thinking about terrorism and I was thinking as we're all focused on the pandemic, we're really not keeping our eye on on what kind of mischief, quote unquote, could be being made in some of these terror hotspots or these these terrorist hotspots. So. I was just. I was thinking this morning, I mean, when's the last time we really focused on terrorism? And the one thing we looked at, we didn't say Kim Jong-un. We thought he might have died because he wasn't in public. But these things have taken are even I mean, they're on the back burner in a big way, aren't they? And and what do you see the ramifications of us not keeping our eye on terrorism, which certainly is not going away? Oh, no, history doesn't have a pause button. So just because we're distracted, just because we're focusing inward, doesn't mean anything else, much like everything else, stops. 
It worries me a little bit that a terrorist might look at what's going on and say, wow, we've been focusing on the wrong kinds of threats or weapons. Uh, our goal shouldn't be to bring down airplanes or use car bombs, but maybe there is something that we could use to infect a, a population. And so I worry a little bit about uh, so-called grand terrorism along uh, those, you know, those lines. But even without that, uh, the violence hasn't stopped in Afghanistan. It hasn't stopped in Syria or Libya or, or, or Yemen. So again, uh, just because we're not watching, just because we're not heavily involved, doesn't mean it, it, it's not happening. Take one example, Iran. Over the last six months or a year, it's estimated that Iran has reduced by a significant amount the, how many months they would need before they would be on the brink of developing a, a nuclear weapon. And you know, we're not paying close attention to it. I expect the Israelis are. But again, it's just a reminder that here we are, while we tackle this new set of problems, including pandemics, the old set of problems hasn't been resolved, much less gone away. So two very scary notions, the use of biological weapons, which we've, of course, been somewhat concerned about for many years, and a nuclear Iran, although I thought Iran had been so impacted by COVID-19 as well, Richard. Iran has been badly hurt uh, by the plummeting oil price, by their inept mismanagement of the pandemic. They allowed the pilgrimage to, to continue. The government was discredited by their shootdown of the Ukrainian civil airliner a few months ago and their subsequent cover-up. Just uh, the other day, there was a friendly fire accident where Iranians uh, shot at an Iranian vessel and I think killed something like 20 uh, soldiers or, or, or sailors. But at the same time, the Iranians are still causing real mischief around the region and in Iraq and other places. And they are continuing to press up against the edges of the 2015 uh, nuclear agreement. So they are, they're, they are able, if you will, to take the punch of the pandemic and still continue to cause other problems. Indeed, there's a school of thought that because the regime there is facing public criticism for its handling of COVID-19, that they're doing things in order to promote a confrontation with the United States so they can wrap themselves in the flag. Change the subject, if you will. Yes, the wag the dog, Farsi style. Yeah. Let's, you have said that foreign leaders have told you that they, quote, don't recognize America right now and that this is not the America they thought they knew. Uh, can you... Can you elaborate on that a little bit, Richard? And can you talk about what ideally the American response would have been to this pandemic versus in reality what it has been? Uh, there's two sides to the coin. One is domestically. When they look at our politics, they look at other features of American society, they shake their heads. A lot of them studied here. A lot of them spent time here. And so they, they see the United States that has not just inequality, but has had several decades of lagging or drifting incomes on the part of many families. They see the, the gun violence, which they can't understand or comprehend, the opioid deaths. Now they see the inept handling of the pandemic, the lack of testing, the lack of discipline, social distancing, inadequate hospital capacity. So they, this is not a United States they respect, much less want to emulate. And then they see what we're doing or not doing around the world. The fact that we did not participate in the European-led effort to bring countries together, governments together, say, to develop a vaccine. So we're essentially missing an action. Uh, we talk about 
being tough on China, but then we don't join the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the regional uh, economic grouping, and most of our interaction with our allies in the region is to berate them over the level of defense spending rather than to come up with a common approach, say, to dealing with the challenge from, from China. So I think this the pandemic reinforces a lot of these, these perceptions of the, United, of the United States that can no longer be counted on abroad, we're no longer as reliable, and at home, a United States that is not setting a standard of behavior that they had come to, to expect from us. And this, what this leads to is a world where we have less influence, where other countries kind of go their own way. But it's not a good situation because these other countries don't have the capacity to substitute for us. In some cases, they may decide to develop more military capabilities so they're more independent, which is not to me a a reassuring uh, future. In some cases, they may need to assuage a more powerful uh, neighbor. But a post-American world will probably be less prosperous, less free, uh, and less peaceful. And that's the direction things are moving in. We'll be back with more of our conversation right after this. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Once again, Richard Haas, president of the Council on Foreign Relations. You've worked with both Republicans and Democratic administrations, Richard. Uh, is this is this because of Donald Trump's leadership? It has something to do with it. Donald Trump is uh, an outlier. If you look at every American president from Harry Truman to through Barack Obama, what they had in common was far greater than where they disagreed. Donald Trump is the first president who probably disagrees more than he has in in common with all of his modern uh, predecessors. He is clearly 
in that sense, a disruptor. But one of the big questions in the field is whether it's in six months or in four years and six months and Donald Trump is succeeded by someone else, to what extent do things go back? To what extent now has the rest of the world somewhat moved on? To what extent has uh, have the American people decided they don't want to support certain kinds of policy? But to put it another way, to what extent is Donald Trump a reflection of a changed America and a changed world as much as he is a driver of it? And that, there's, a, there's a big debate about that, about what things look like afterwards. I don't think there's any going back to where, where, where things were exactly, but I do think there's a potential for more of a return to a familiar, traditional uh, American role in the world. I do think that's possible. Although you have posited that even a Biden presidency would likely not guarantee a full-scale return of an expansive U.S. role in the world. Uh, that's correct. I've written that, and I still think that. And it's because the American people aren't there. I think the pandemic will also reinforce that because our domestic needs are going to be enormous. The rest of the world might not be as prepared to accept America's leadership in the future and, uh, with the thought that, gee, if it happened once, it could happen again. We can't be quite as reliant on the United States. China's become more powerful. Russia's more entrenched in the Middle East and in uh, Ukraine. North Korea is much farther advanced in terms of its nuclear and missile development. What I do know is whoever is the next president in, in early 21, whether it's Donald Trump for second term or Joe Biden for his first, it's going to be an extraordinarily difficult, even daunting uh, inbox of challenges. And that's where, again, COVID-19, the pandemic, has made it worse. The, the challenges are somewhat greater, both traditional ones as, re- as well as global ones, including the pandemic, but also, say, climate change. And our, and our capacity and focus is going to be less. So even, even if a president came in like a Joe Biden who was inclined to do certain things, he's just going to be dealt a, a, very, difficult, uh, a very difficult hand. Do you think he's up, up to the job, Richard? Well, Joe Biden is someone who has a, a lot of experience. So I, I have no doubt about his ability. He spent eight years as vice president. He spent decades in the, in the Senate on the, on the Foreign Relations Committee. He's experienced with the, with the issues. Uh, you know, I run a nonpartisan institution, so I have to be, I have to be careful. You know, I don't endorse candidates and, and the like. But simply, you know, he's got his background, and whether he, I don't think even his critics can, can can deny that they can agree or disagree with various stances he's taken. And he and I have you know disagreed at times on issues. But does he have the experience? Does he have the familiarity, both with the issues and how the U.S. government makes policy? I think the answer there is a clear yes. Clearly, we are probably on the verge of a a new era in foreign policy. You know. From the post-Cold War, this might be the post-pandemic, right, era in foreign relations. But are there some positive things that we can look forward to? I think one thing that has been made abundantly clear, at least from where I sit, Richard, is in an era where expertise was less and less valued, uh, we are starting to recognize I think more than we did, the importance of science, the importance of data, the importance of facts. Some people more than others, I think, would are appreciating those things. But do you see that as a positive as we emerge from this crisis? Well, I hope you're right. And the kind of respect you see for Dr. Fauci, 
if, for example, the climate debate became a more serious debate and people, we spent less time having to argue that climate change is real and more change, more time talking about how to actually deal with it, how to prevent future climate change, adapt to existing climate change, then I would be, uh, you know, I would be uh, gratified and, and reassured. I'm hoping also that what comes out of this is a growing recognition that the world does matter, that isolationism and unilateralism are not viable alternatives, that we have a tremendous stake in what happens outside our borders, uh, and that we have to we have to be involved. Uh, we can't be passive. We can't uh, simply bury our head in the sand. Well, I certainly hope we learn. And the other thing that I hope is, but I I'm not. I'm not certain it will happen, is that Americans become more interested in what's happening around the world, in addition to reading your book, that they actually, that, that our education system brings back and, and recognizes the importance of a well-informed citizenry, uh, not only for our democracy, but to be good global citizens in general. Amen to that. I would, I would love that the day comes sooner rather than later where every high school graduate and every college graduate uh, had certain things under his or her belt. And it would be on domestically, they would have read the Constitution and the Federalist Papers and de Tocqueville and so forth and understand what is our political DNA, what is it that makes the, our democracy vibrant. Uh, and then for an international, they'd understand why the world matters, what about this or that international institution or alliances, or this global challenge? What are certain lessons of history? So yeah, that, that we would be able to face the future with a, a foundation to, of understanding about our country and the world that I really think every citizen needs, uh, not just for their own career, their investments and the, and the like, but also to, to hold their elected representatives to account. Uh, democracy needs to be based on informed citizenry. And I think our schools aren't doing the uh, job in many cases. And not everybody obviously goes to college or goes to high school beyond the age of 16. Or or once they reach our age, you forget just about everything you might have learned. So I think we need to rethink the idea of education and get beyond the idea that it's just what you learn in classrooms when you're a teenager or in your early 20s. It's got to become a lifelong experience. And... You know, that's, again, why I wrote a book like this, because it's aimed not just at students, but it's aimed to their, for their parents and grandparents. We need an informed citizenry, regardless of uh, the person's age. What did you learn the most when you were writing this book, Richard? What, you know, has you had to synthesize these very complex things? I, you, you're, as I mentioned, one of the smartest people I know. But what did you learn in the process of writing this that surprised you or perhaps made you reconsider previously held positions? Where my own thinking changed the most, Katie, in, in writing the book was in, how do I put this, that most of my study, most of my life has been involved with traditional foreign policy problems. The U.S.-Soviet relationship now, the U.S.-Chinese relationship, great power relations. You know, I, that's what I studied when I was a student at Oxford. What, where I changed the most in writing this book was coming up with a new appreciation of global issues. That every era of history has its defining features, 
And say in the first half of the 20th century, it was probably the relationship between France, Britain, and Germany among those three countries. Second half of the 20th century was obviously the U.S.-Soviet Cold War. I think in this century, what's qualitatively different, and this is where my own thinking evolved the most, that we not only have to take into account the traditional great power politics, but there's this whole new set of global issues. And we simply don't have the, the thinking much less the institutions or arrangements for dealing with them. And, it, and if we don't, that is going to be the, that's going to write most of the history of the 20th century. It's going to be our ability or inability to come together to deal with these global challenges from pandemics to, to, to climate change to terrorism. That makes the 21st century qualitatively different than the rest of modern history. And that's something to me that I just didn't appreciate nearly so much until I really delved into the issues. Well, Richard, it's always great to talk to you. The new book, you're the 13th, I believe, that you've written or edited. Is that right? Might even be one or two more than that, Katie, but who's counting? (laughs) It's called The World, A Brief Introduction. Thanks so much for doing this today. Thanks, Katie. Great fun. Richard Haas's new book is called The World, A Brief Introduction, and it's out now. I highly recommend it. And that does it for this special bonus episode of Next Question. You can check out all of our episodes and subscribe, please do, on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And to keep up with the day's most pressing news and some original content as well, subscribe to my morning newsletter. It's called Wake Up Call. And you can do that by going to katiecurric.com. Until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Thank you for listening, everyone. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Courtney Litz, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Our show producer is Beth Ann Macaluso. The associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing by Derek Clements, Dylan Fagan, and Lowell Berlanti. Mixing by Dylan Fagan. Our researcher is Gabriel Luzer. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecurric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecurric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.